episode 22 of The Build. How you doing? I'm doing better now. Uh, last week, I took off. Uh, I was just having a rough day. It turned into a rough couple of days. And, uh, you know, we took some time to take care of ourselves, and now we're back. Um, if you haven't taken a mental health day like that, even from the things that you like doing, give it a shot. It was pretty fun. I can't do this podcast when I'm in a bad mood because this is something I like to do. And once I start doing something I like to do in the attitude that I was in, it becomes something that I don't want to do, which I don't want to do to you guys. That's not fair. Um, so, you know, that's why this is even up a little bit later than usual. I, uh, I had a real rough day at work and went real long and then I was just in a foul mood and I knew I had to record this. So I was like, all right, I'm going to order pizza. I'm going to relax for a little bit and then I'm going to put myself in a better mood. I've got a Baja Blast with me. We're living our life. Everything's better now. Hope you're well. Um, while I've been out, almost nothing has changed. Um, Kirby Doc remains unsigned. Caden um, Primo remains unsigned. The Boston Bruins did, like, all of their work today that they had to do for the rest of the summer. So, ironed all of that out. I think they signed Krejci, Bergeron, and um, Pavel Zaka. And, you know, we're just kind of waiting for the last few pieces of news to trickle in for the Canadians this summer. Mostly those transactions, um, you know, any kind of trades that would would need to happen to necessitate, um, you know, adding another cap hit in Kirby Doc or in Caden Primo, who I think is going to start in Laval anyway, so it won't matter. Um, but with all of that being said, we're in peak summer hockey content, and the Habs subreddit, r slash Habs, has not been uh, uh, a disappointment in that asset of hockey content, because as you to- can tell by the title of this episode, the Nick Suzuki penalty shot memes are everywhere. Um, RDS just did a feature on them, which I, I find even funnier. Um, you know, for those who are unaware, I think it started like earnestly, like there was a few, um, like one fan was like, here's my, here was my view of Nick Suzuki's first penalty shot goal. And then someone saw it and they posted their own. It was like, here's my view. And a third person was probably like, here's my view. And then it, it augmented into just one of the more, more creative memes in, uh, Habs fandom that I can remember in recent memory as someone who tried to, you know, force the Jeff Petrie memes into uh, being a thing. This just seems so organic and so, you know, based on just this fan base's love for that player. Um, but also just we're in the middle of the most nothing month of the hockey season. Um, so it's it was perfect for it. My personal favorite is Nick Suzuki's first career penalty shot goal, but my parents are getting divorced in the background. It's still just so funny to me. Like it's it's you know it's 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 a very specific age group who's pulling this off. The Zoomers are the ones who are like propagating a lot of these memes. But um, yeah, it's just it's really really good. I hope they keep going. Um, going off of that and onto some not Habs news that I've been trying to make Habs news over the last few episodes is Jonathan Huberto signing long term in Calgary. Um, I thought about this and the only thing I can say is that the trade that I didn't understand becomes the contract that I don't understand. Um, I still don't know how this trade makes Florida any better. 
Um, I understand it from Calgary's standpoint. They they weren't going to – Matthew Kachuk wasn't going to sign. You want to get value for him. Getting a 100-point player for him in Huberto is not a bad piece of business, in my opinion. Um, but, but, you know, the Panthers sacrificed a really good player in Huberto that, of course, they were going to have to sign long-term and a solid defenseman. So their their defensive depth is just about shot. Um for a definite upgrade on Huberdeau in, in Kachuk, he is better than... Matthew Kachuk is better than Jonathan Huberdeau, and he will be better for longer because he's younger. Um, but I think just the cost of upgrading at that at that player is was just really, really high. It didn't need to be that high. Um, and now Calgary signs Huberdeau to an eight-year extension at a $10.5 million cap hit uh, per season. The structure of the deal is mostly signing bonuses of the $84 million he's owed. $61.5 million of it is in signing bonuses. So it's just, it's very heavy on signing bonuses. Um, to cap that thought, and I, I'll go, I want to talk more about the signing bonus structure later because I think it's important when we're looking towards the future of not only the Montreal Canadiens, but of, uh, you know, where hockey is headed and potential labor um, disagreements that might come about because of it. Um, but to make Huberto about the Canadians for one brief moment, um, the dream of Huberto in Montreal is, is almost certainly dead. And if that was going to be the price point that it was going to cost Montreal to, to sign Huberto on the free market, uh, I'm glad it's, he signed it in Calgary. Like, Huberto is a good player. I just don't I don't think you can commit eight years and that cap hit to a 29 year old. It's a massive bet for Calgary that Huberto ages well because he's still really good right now. But will what about year five and year six and year seven? And that that contract doesn't even start until after this upcoming season. So essentially you have nine years of Jonathan Huberto. You know, you're you're essentially signing one of the last contracts in his career, and it's just it's a really big bet on a player who is really good, but you know, I think you have to be kind of shrewd when it comes to that sort of thing. Montreal can't be in the business of spending that much money on a 29 year old right now or even next year because we still don't know like what this team looks like. We don't. This upcoming season for Montreal is going to kind of be a good indicator for us as far as like trying to see where where their window opens up. We don't know that that window is even going to open up at this point. We hope it does. But we don't know when that's even going to start. So we can't be committing that kind of money. That's why the Pierre-Luc Dubois one makes a little bit more sense. He's a free agent in two years. By that point, you know, we kind of, we've got two seasons of Slavkovsky. We can kind of see his development. Mayshar's probably stepped up and has made the team. Um, we're looking at Caden Gooley and Jordan Harris and Justin Barron on the back end. We're looking at maybe Caden Primo stepping up and being an NHL goaltender. And if he's not, have we acquired another NHL goaltender? So the, the Pierre-Luc Dubois one just makes more sense because that's just where this could head. That's where Montreal's best interest and Pierre-Luc Dubois' best interest collide. With Huberdeau, that, that as much as I wanted to talk myself into believing that, it's very clear that that's, that was not a good option for Montreal with this contract in mind. Um, 
and you know Montreal still has Carey Price on the books for now, and that would be two players at over ten million dollars each. And I just don't think you can win in the NHL with that kind of salary structure. Um, the Blackhawks have kind of shown us that. A lot of teams have kind of shown us that it's it's hard to build depth around a couple of guys making a massive amount of money. Um, but let's talk about those contract structures because, like I said, Huberto's contract is is essentially all signing bonuses. It's it's massively signing signing bonus heavy. So was Matt Kachuk's going going to Florida. It's mostly signing bonuses. Um, so are. Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, and a lot of other players. I list those three because they're all playing for the same team, and it's very telling that all of them went with the same salary structure. So it led me to to questioning why a lot of players are receiving their money in signing bonuses, and I was led to believe there's two main reasons for that. One that I think is is kind of a just-in-case you know, a, a breaking case of emergency sort of salary structure. And the other is to actively try to take money back from the owners. The first being salaries are not paid out in a lockout. Signing bonuses are. So if you're heavy in signing bonuses, you're you're guaranteeing money despite the fact that there might be a, pl- a, 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 labor short, a labor stoppage with the NHL. That essentially makes their contracts lockout proof. Leon Dreisaitl's contract is a good example of this. His contract is entirely salary except for two seasons. One of them being the twenty one, the the twenty twenty one season, um, where there could have been a lockout if the CBA was not extended in July of twenty twenty with that uh, memorandum of understanding. the The second one was the twenty two twenty three season. I'm not sure about that one because the current CBA expires after the twenty five six season. Um, but maybe there was something there that Dreisaitl and his agent saw. I'm not sure. But the, the 21 season, that's exactly why that one year is all signing bonuses. Because if they didn't play, he was still going to get that money. And the second reason for signing bonuses is probably about escrow, which is a word that we hear a lot. Um, I'll give a stick tap to Andrew G on Twitter for pointing me in this direction because I hadn't even considered it. Um I'll try to do my best explaining escrow. It's not all that important that you understand it from a a dollar in dollar out perspective or from even like a, you know, textbook definition perspective, because I don't think that necessarily helps us in this case. But the memorandum of understanding uh, or MOU that extended the CBA in July of 2020 was then tweaked by the owners to increase deferred escrow payments that pissed off the players because the players agreed to you know, the, the terms of the CBA. And then a few years later, the, the or a little while later, the owners said, ah, actually, we're going to change it and you owe us more money with escrow now. Um, if there is another lockout in the near future, I predict that it will likely surround these ideas of escrow payments and hockey-related revenue, HRR. We, we've, we've, I think that's mostly what the last lockout was about, was, was hockey-related revenue. That's, that's money that's split up between the owners and the players. Um, there's the idea is that it's a 50 50 split, but in the case that, you know, when they were playing games where there was no, there were no fans in the stands, hockey related revenue dipped. And essentially the owners decided that the players owed them money that they said, we, we have spent a lot of money so that you can continue to make money. You owe us back now. Um, so that's, 
escrow is that money that the the players are paying back. Um, and in that MOU, it's noted that signing bonuses and performance bonuses are not included in the calculation that creates the escrow percentage. So, you know, the, the percentage that each player pays out of their contract, and I'll say going into the 22-23 season, that's 10% of players' salaries. Um, that does not include signing bonuses. They're kind of shielded from that. So, like I said, going into next season, um, or I should say it, during the next season, a player's contract, their salary will be deducted by 10 points, 10% that'll go immediately back to the, to the owners. Um, and that's before taxes. So you're kind of getting taxed twice in a sense. Um, so next year it's 10%. After that, the last three years of the current CBA are set at 6% escrow. Um, so looking at Jonathan Huberto, in 23-24, he's going to owe 6% of, of that salary to escrow. Remember, it's an extension. It doesn't start until 23-24, and that's when escrow will be 6%. His cap hit is $10.5 million, but $7 million of that in that season and the seasons that follow are signing bonuses, and they're not touched by escrow. The only money targeted by escrow is that his, his actual salary, which is $3.5 million. So instead of owing $630,000 in escrow payments that year, he only owes $210,000. So he's saving a lot of money doing that. I, I, I think this is I, the only way I can really rationalize it, or not even rationalize it, but one of the, thing, the pitfalls I see with this is that it's, it seems to be prolonging the period in which the players owe the owners money, right? Like if, if all of these stars paid out that escrow... We might be done with it in a few years, but we have to continue it because the players are shielding their money from the owners this way. And that's in no way saying that I, I just wish the owners got what they want. Far from it. The, but that's, that's the reality of this, that the more the players fight escrow, the longer they have to pay it back. Um, it's, it's sticky, right? Because like we're, we're talking about billionaires and millionaires here. And, you know, I, I, the labor dispute that, that is, is at hand here is one that I think favors the players in most cases, because the owners will always look bad no matter what happens. Um, but I, the next time there, that this CBA comes up, escrow is going to be a big part of, you know, the conversation, not so much moving forward, because at that point, the NHL hopes to be kind of past that period. And, you know, that's when we'll start to see the cap go up is once once that escrow, once those escrow payments are, are stopped. Um, but I, it, it's not, I think Elliot Freeman has said, like, it's a word that players can't stand. And it's a word that they think about constantly. So headed into negotiations of any future CBA, you're probably looking at escrow being something that the players are still upset about, and rightfully so. I mean, they didn't cause any of this, and they're just paying the owners back money for the sake of it. Um, but also, from a labor perspective, in the players' favor, this, you know, these, if you're going off the premise that these salary structures that have all of it in signing bonuses are creating a period of time where escrow has to be paid off longer, it seems like it's squeezing the hell out of the little guy, right? Like the the lower class NHLer making league minimum probably values that six to ten percent a whole lot more than the Hubertos and the Kachucks and the Marners and the Matthews of the world. 
and those players aren't getting signing bonuses to hide their money from escrow. They have to make a minimum salary. You know, you'll look at a, at some of these massive deals. You'll see that the signing bonuses are all of their contracts for a certain year, and then their salary is league minimum because they have to make a league minimum amount of money. Those players who are making that league minimum and no signing bonuses, that 6 to 10% is probably hurting them a whole lot more than it's hurting the Jonathan Huberdos of the world. I, I think that the owners being against this in the future would be kind of funny in the same way that, you know, owners were against, or maybe it was the NHL that was against longer contracts, like the 13-year deals we were seeing. Um, the owners are the ones signing off on those deals. You guys could self-regulate and refuse to sign long contracts and refuse to sign these signing bonus heavy contracts, but none of them can help themselves because it's an open market and all of these players will demand that sort of thing and they'll get it from you or any other team that's offering it. So it's impossible for them to self-regulate, so we have to bring it into these labor disputes. Um, I think in both those instances... That's just always the price of doing business in the NHL is giving players the things that they want despite the fact that owners don't want to give it to them. And that's what creates all of this animosity. Um, so like I said, I think like half the players in the league could be against this salary structure since they're being held on the hook for escrow money while the top tier of players have the leverage to get out from underneath it. Is it going to cause a lockout? I don't know. I hope not. And I'd prob I would probably say probably not. But I wouldn't see I wouldn't be surprised to see this end like the 13 year back diving contracts that we saw right before the lockout. Like the next time there's some kind of labor dispute and you know they I bet it's something like the owners want to get rid of the signing bonus heavy contracts and the players say, okay, but no more escrow. And if that's the agreement that they can have, we'll have, you know, another eight years of a CBA. And if not, we might have a, a, a stoppage, which would be really unfortunate. Um, all right, so two little pieces of Canadians news, and then we'll get out of here because um, it's, there's not much going on, I'll be honest with you. Um, I missed this. Uh, I didn't miss it. it. It was written here for last week, but I didn't I didn't do a show. Um, Stefan Robida joins the Canadians coaching staff and Lula Morello's in shambles. Um, it seems to be, you know, that, that, that hire seems to be in line with their, their line of thinking. Um, you know, here's a person who did their old jobs really well. And for a long time, they don't have experience at this current position, but we feel confident in putting them in that role to see if they can do it. Um, I think, you know, the obvious concerns that the more traditional hockey minds have is that, well, he doesn't have experience. And, you know, I think that the Canadians are in the mindset that they need new blood in and around their team. And you cannot simultaneously want new blood in that position and be concerned about experience. There are 30 NHL coaches who have experience, and I would say almost all of them are unhirable. Alain Vigneault has experience. He'll coach any team you put him on into the ground. Michel Therrien has experience. He's been around forever can't get rid of him it doesn't make him a a good hire because of that and inversely not having experience doesn't make you a bad hire it's it, it makes it 
obviously there's some risk involved in that, right? But you have to imagine that the Canadians did their homework on, on Robida. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm giving this front office a whole lot of credit because they're making a lot of moves that, you know, they can be criticized for in the sense that, like, they're, they're big risks. Marty St. Louis, we saw him for half a season. I'm a big believer in a lot of the things he has to say. It's still a risk in the sense that they signed him for three years. And you never know, like, what that's going to bring. You know, I, I was very, you know, when they brought in St. Louis, I was very cautious about giving a, a brand new coach, and by brand new, I mean literally brand new, term because we just did that with Dom Ducharme and it, and it backfired immediately. Um, you know, Jeff Gorton said on Bob McCallum's podcast um, that he tried to talk Marty St. Louis into being the head coach in Hartford, which is the home of the Rangers AHL team. He turned it down. This was like right after he retired from, from hockey. You know, he, he was on the Rangers at that time. Um, he said that, you know, Marty wanted to be around his kids. It seems like you know, Jeff Gorton was a really big believer in Marty St. Louis, the leader, for a long time. And then, you know, the, the right pieces just fell into place here. Obviously, Kent knew him. I'm curious how, how Roby Dog got hired. I, I haven't been catching up on, on a lot of the, the interviewing around him or, like, the, the press around him. Um, so I, I'll have to do so. But I'm giving these guys this front office credit for targeting the guys that they want and going to get them despite the risks that they might not pan out. So we'll see. I'm very interested as I am with every other part of this to see how this works out, how this individual part of a coaching staff works out. You know, Luke Richardson was a great voice to have around. I think he's a, I think he's a great leader. I think he, I think guys really loved him in that room, but the defense struggled mightily under him. A lot of that wasn't his fault. I think the old general manager acquired defensemen that reminded him of himself instead of players who could play in the modern NHL. Um, but with what he did have, the play style was not all that encouraging. It relied heavily on just clearing the front of the net, not doing anything else, not a ton of controlled exits with the puck. So, you know... I, I'm I'm giving Stefan Robida the, the the benefit of the doubt that he's going to come in and try some new things and get this Canadians defense playing like an NHL defense should in the year of our gourd 2022. And if he doesn't, well, then they have to find another another option. I'm less concerned with Stefan Robida in this upcoming season than I am with like how much longer Alex Burrows has coaching the power play, because. We've given him time, and it's it doesn't look any better. Um, the Canadians don't need to have an elite power play by any stretch of the imagination, especially in their current configuration, because the Canadians don't have elite players. It's hard to have an elite power play when the players that you have aren't that caliber. But it has to be better than it was. I think replacing Petrie with Matheson is a good start because it's a left-handed shot that, that can feed more cleanly to Cole Caulfield. But I don't. But the personnel isn't going to change much from last year. You're still rolling out a power play with, um, you know, Matheson instead of Petrie, but Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. So that's three. Maybe Jonathan Drouin on that top unit. Maybe Mike Hoffman in the slot 
on that unit. So, you know, you're you're really rolling out a very similar power play that we would have seen over the last few years. I think there's more pressure on Alex Burroughs this year than there is on a Stefan Robida, especially because the Canadiens defense is going to be so young over the next few years that he's going to have a chance to grow into the role with those guys also growing into their roles. Um, so the front office or the, 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 the bench is set, right? Like we've got the coaching staff that's there now. Marty St. Louis, Stefan Robida, Alex Burroughs, Trevor Litowski. Those guys are by the bench. How long that stays the case, who knows? Um, but the fact that Burroughs and Litowski weren't let go already leads me to believe that like they kind of like them and they want to keep them around, but I have no idea. Um, all right, last bit for the day. Um, this came from uh, Habs Eyes on the Prize Report from Patrick Bexell. Um, Emil Heineman will go back to Sweden if he does not make the Canadians out of camp. That's a report um, because on a podcast, the general manager for Lexand, Thomas Janssen, said he has high hopes that they will get Heineman for one more year because Heineman is a European player who's, who has rights owned by a European team. Um, he has a European out clause in his contract that allows him to go back to Europe to play for the team that has his rights if the Canadians do not assign him to the NHL roster. Um, if he gets assigned to Laval, he can say, nope, I'll see you. I'll be back in a year. Um, it seems like they, you know, it seems like the 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 team that he plays for, Lexand, they, they're kind of expecting that to happen. Um, it would be nice to see, you know, Montreal players come through the Canadian system just because I think, I think... We as fans want to see, we want to see that machine run. We want to see that that development uh, asset of the Canadians actually developing players. That's not to say there won't be any players next year who are just in Laval to develop. Um, I think there's, as we talked about on the last show, like there's too many defensemen there for them to all play in the NHL this upcoming season. Um, so, you know. He's 20 years old, Heineman. He's the Habs have his contractual rights. He's under contract for the next three years. Um, you know, it, it, it's not the end of the world that he's going to to Sweden because it's where it would be in the Swedish the Swedish Hockey League. Um, it's not the end of the world. It'd be nice if he was in Laval, but I think it's it's just as valuable for him to go back to Sweden try his best to dominate that men's league and then come over here, possibly go through Laval. Maybe he'd be NHL ready at that point. But I think it's more of a, you know, in seeing that if he doesn't, you know, the the the, the headline being if Hanneman doesn't make the NHL team, he'll go back to Sweden this year. I think that's mostly a note to just say he's playing in Sweden this year because I think he's kind of a long shot to make the NHL team just because the the backlog of forwards that the Canadians have. Um, on NHL contracts. Um, Heyneman's playing and pra he's practicing with Lexand. They have games this upcoming week. He'll likely play in those according to Patrick Bexell, or it's a possibility that he'll play in those. I don't want to misquote Patrick. Um, so, you know, he'll, he'll come back for training camp. He'll probably play some preseason games. We'll get a good look. He's going to get to NHL camp in mid-season mode because he's already playing he's practicing and playing games over in Sweden he's going to come back over here and 
try to make the NHL team, he's going to be put in a situation where we're seeing mid-season Emil Heineman. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. The Canadians always play way too many preseason games. We'll probably see him in a couple. I hope that, you know, he turns into an NHL player because it would make that Tyler Toffoli trade look a whole lot better. Uh, was it the Foley trade? No, it wasn't the Toffoli trade. It was the, uh, was it the Sherratt trade? It must have been because I think they got him from Florida. This is terrible radio. Tiny man. Come on. Yeah, Florida Panthers. But he was trade. Wasn't he traded twice? I can't remember now. Da, 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 da. No, he did go to Calgary in the Sam Bennett thing. I was right. It was the it was the Tyler Toffoli trade. That was terrible radio. I'm sorry you had to listen to that. Um, but thanks. It, it you know thanks for listening anyway. I appreciate it. I'm fighting against my mirtazapine at the moment, so I'm gonna go to bed. Um, but before I go, a quick word of encouragement for the friend of Habs fans everywhere, Mark Dumont who was let go uh, from his job with the Canadians. Um, it's a huge bummer. He was putting out a ton of content that Habs fans really enjoyed. Um, stop pointing fingers at people on Twitter. It's none of our business. Stop blaming people. Mark has asked us to stop doing that. Um, he's going to land on his feet somewhere. He's got a Substack. I'm already subscribed to it. I can't wait to read it. I'm very excited. I hope he has a podcast. I will listen to it regularly. Um, but in the meantime... Mark, I hope, you know, if he's listening to this, I hope you're doing well. And uh, I, I can't wait to see where he lands. It's going to be a load of fun. So, all right. Find me on Twitter at maybe it's Ian at Rabbit Habs for the blog. Not really a blog anymore. Um, before I plug the outro music, I do want to plug some music uh, from a really cool band that I like. You've probably seen me tweet about them. Uh, they're called Cheek Face. They're an indie rock-ish band. Um, they put out really fun music. I always like they, it puts a smile on my face listening to their stuff. Um, the new album, which they they sent a postcard about. That's how they announced the album was like, hey, in two days, we're releasing an album. And I was like, that's so cool. I got a postcard from the band. I like um, their new album too much to ask. It rules. It's loads of fun. So give it a shot. Um, but for now, the music you're currently listening to and the track you heard at the beginning of the show, um, that is, of course, Inside by Fred Mug. Check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page. Check out the rest of his stuff. All right, guys. Quick half hour. I'll see you next week. Bye.